I'm really excited to look at today's text with you today. So if you take your Bibles out with me and turn to Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, uh, we're going to hear this really brief pericope uh, from Mark's gospel about Christ's baptism. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 I'm sorry, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. My dyslexia was uh, coming in hot there. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Let's hear the, go the gospel according to Mark about Christ's baptism. I'm going to be reading from the Common English Bible this morning. John the Baptist was in the wilderness, calling for people to be baptized, to show that they were changing their hearts and lives, and wanted God to forgive their sins. Everyone in Judah and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they confessed their sins. John wore cloths made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. He announced, one stronger than I is coming after me. I'm not even worthy to bend over and loosen the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. About that time, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. While he was coming up out of the water, Jesus saw heaven splitting open and the Spirit like a dove coming down on him. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my son, whom I dearly love in you. I find happiness. This is the written word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. At the beginning of service, I asked, why does Jesus need to be baptized? If he is without sin and John is calling for those to repent and to be without sin, why does Jesus come and be baptized by John the Baptist? What is it that we're supposed to learn from this moment from Christ, especially about our own baptism and our own lives in Jesus? Well, I think to answer that question, we have to start thinking bigger about what we just heard. I, I want you to, to try something with me. As you just heard this passage read aloud, you, you see Jesus stepping down into the Jordan River you hear and see so many sights and smells as the red the the words are read. You can see the, the the banks of the Jordan River. You can maybe even smell a little bit of the camel's hair that that John the Baptist is wearing. You feel the hot sun. You see the people gathered closely watching this take place and witness the heavens open up and a dove descending like the Holy Spirit and. Maybe you hear echoes of thunder that might sound like a voice, but Mark doesn't even indicate that the crowd hears the voice. It says, you are my son and well, in whom I am well pleased. So maybe only Jesus hears that, but you feel thunder and you, you, you hear just maybe a quaking when God speaks to Christ. Now, when you see those things, what I want you to try is to imagine what other parts of Scripture might we be thinking about when we see this event unfold. Well, where my, my mind goes, and maybe you're thinking with me, where my mind goes is Jesus stepping down into the water and we have the dove descending over 
the troubled waters. There, it's moving and there's, there's people moving in and out and the waters are not still, but they're being churned about by people. I think of Genesis. I think when the spirit hovered over the chaos of the abyss and brought order to, to desperate and chaotic situation in creation, the first step was to bring order where there is chaos. And then he's standing in the Jordan River that has been split apart before when the Ark of the Covenant crossed over. And so I think of people crossing over on dry land and what a miracle that was. And then I think again of the Red Sea when Moses brought his people over on dry land from Egypt into the wilderness heading towards the promised land. The liberation of God's people out of Egypt. And I think of Jesus standing there embodying that as well. And then I think of another time where the dove was over the water in, in Noah's flood when the, the dove came and brought the olive branch to signify that land and peace was coming and that the flood waters were going to dissipate and that what God's desire for the world was coming about and Noah and his family were saved. They were brought to salvation through the flood. I think of that as well as the Spirit is shown as descending on Christ. And in reading the Greek of this text in Mark, uh, what we normally translate as the Spirit landing on or descending on Jesus can actually be interpreted as the Holy Spirit filling Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming into Christ. And so that makes me again think of humanity when God was breathing the breath or ruach, the, the spirit of God into humanity at creation. And Jesus being the, the perfect reflection of God, the, the total purpose of humanity to reflect God's image in the world, that God is breathing God's spirit into Christ as well as this rejoining of all that God has desired through Christ into creation in the world. And then Jesus, God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. I can't help but think about all the times and places that parents in the Old Testament said over their sons and their daughters that they are well pleased over them. Right? can't help but think of the covenant made with Abraham and how he talked about his sons and his daughters coming through. I can't help but think of how God talks about from the Proverbs and, and, and the Psalms about how pleased he is with those who, who God finds righteous, who God finds doing the good work of love and justice and mercy in the world. That, that God delights in God's children. And every time that God has come into the world, whether it be through a covenant with Abraham, giving the law through Moses, the, the, the relationship with all the prophets that we see in John the Baptist standing there, all for the sake of the salvation of the world. Are you with me? And so Jesus stepping into those baptismal waters is not just for his own sake. 
No, it's the fulfillment of all of what God has tried to do in the world to reconcile all of creation back to God's self. To bring salvation to all created things and to enjoin that relationship of love and harmony between humanity and God and humanity and each other. So Christ fulfills that in his baptism. And then Christ is sent out into the wilderness just like the Israelites were for 40 years. Jesus is sent in for 40 days and we're going to read that next week. And we, we see how this pivotal starting point in Christ's ministry will then usher in the, the mission, the, the goal for creation that God has had from the beginning. And, and then John the Baptist is saying, just it should make our imaginations go to understand what John the Baptist is saying even deeper. Where John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but what does Jesus baptize us with? The Holy Spirit that he has just been filled with here at his own baptism. And, and so what I think about is this process of every time there's sin in the world, whether it be from Egypt, the, the, the sin of, of humanity, that there's that separation there and God desires to, to bring this reconciliation to that broken relationship. Whenever we see that brokenness in the Old Testament, we see God turning in love. Every single time there's brokenness, Adam and Eve, God turns in love. When there's brokenness with, with the people of Israel, God always turns and shows God's love. The covenant, the law, the prophets, all of these things are actions of God turning and responding, not repaying evil with evil, but repaying evil evil with good, responding in peace, responding in love, responding in upholding the cause of the brokenhearted and the downtrodden and the most vulnerable in their society. And so God is turning in love. And John the Baptist is calling for people to repent. Now, what's repentance? Metanoia, metamorphosis. It's the caterpillar turning into a butterfly. And so we are supposed to what? We are supposed to turn and face God's action in the world. Respond with our own action. So if God is always turning and trying to face the world in love, we then too are called to turn and face in God's loving action to be transformed and filled with that spirit of love, baptized in our own repentance, turning away from the old world of, of brokenness and sin, and face that action, that mission and vision of God's love in the world to then be transformed and baptized in the Holy Spirit, the same that is in Christ Jesus, so that Christ's faithfulness and his spirit is then seen in us. And then what will we do? We will then turn in repentance. 
We will then turn and face the world that is in darkness and disarray and chaos. And that spirit that was hovering over the chaos and the abyss at the beginning of time that was in Christ Jesus is that will then be manifest through us. And so whenever we see chaos, we turn in love. Whenever we see brokenness, we turn in love. Whenever we see sin and, and injustice, we turn and respond to it in the redemptive love of God in Christ. And I want us to think of repentance maybe in a new way here, because if our imaginations are big enough, I do think that we can get just a little bit of a taste of Christ's repentance and what that looks like. So I'm not committing heresy here. Just hear me out. In the book of Jonah, we are told explicitly that God repents or the Hebrew word for turning away. But if you look it up at the in the end of Jonah's book, it's a very short book, about four chapters. So you can look it up later. But God repents, turns from God's desire to bring condemnation on the people of Nineveh. And we actually see that turning and facing in love so often in the Old Testament. We hear regret. God regretted making humanity. What happens? Cleanses the world in a baptismal water to, to cleanse the world of sin so that goodness might prevail. And we get that promise that that won't be the answer to sin any longer, that righteousness is to prevail and God will always turn and respond in peace and in love. Then God again regrets that Saul became king. He regretted, God regretted that Israel demanded for a king in the first place, 1 Samuel 8. And so there's this regret again turning from that desire of what's happening in front of God and turning and responding in love. And then with Lot, what happens in the story of Lot? God changes God's mind several times in that narrative. But I think we get uncomfortable with talking about God changing because we do believe as Christians that God is unchanging. God is immutable. That's the $5 theological word to describe that. God is unchanging. But we are Wesleyan, Arminian. So our foundational characteristic for God is love. There is biblical evidence that points to the reality that God's primary foundational nature is love. And love even shapes God's sovereignty. Love even shapes God's outworking of, of judgment, um, outworking of relationship. Everything starts and ends and is carried out by God's primary nature and characteristic, which is love. So, Parents, friends, brothers, sisters, any time that you love someone, spouses, any time that you love someone deeply and that other person re responds in a way that you didn't want them to, maybe sins against you or breaks or hampers the relationship in some way, you don't change as a person, but you respond in love, which maybe causes you to regret which maybe causes you to change your mind. Maybe you want to carry out revenge against someone, but then you turn from that. You turn away from that plot or that idea of seeking evil for evil, and you turn from that to bring about good. 
because at our core, we want to remain in love and carry out love in that relationship. And so if we think of that in Christ Jesus, and we think of Philippians 2, the one who had all power with God and didn't see equality with God as something to be exploited, but lowered himself even unto the form of a slave and unto death on a cross. Christ had all the power and authority to bring judgment and condemnation against the world and wreak vengeance of breaking the covenant with God, breaking all the laws of God in the people of Israel, to not taking the relationship with God seriously, given over into idol worship, all these things that humanity was guilty of at that moment when Jesus entered the world. He had all the right as God to seek vengeance and destruction, and it would be well within God's right to do so. Legally, it would have been completely in line with the covenant that God made with humanity through Abraham. But what does God do instead? God turns from that path of condemnation and judgment, thanks be to God, and responds in the gentleness, humility, lowering of God's self to seek redemption and reconciliation in the world through Christ. And so in that baptism is a beautiful picture of knowing how God could have responded to the sin, given the covenant that God made with, with humanity. God could have responded in such a different way but in those waters, God is showing a desire to choose love and goodness, even again, turning and facing the sin and brokenness of the world and facing it with love. And I really think that that starting point, if we think, have our imaginations big enough and think of all the things that are culminating here from creation to floods to walking across on dry land to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, if we think of those things, then our imagination for our own baptism is huge because it's not just dunking ourselves, getting out of the water and saying, to everyone else, look, I'm saved. I now am walking with God. That's part of it, but that's such a small part of our baptism. Our desire is that when we are brought through the water, that God will do to us what God did with Jesus Christ. That the same spirit that is in with Christ Jesus is then given to us, that we are then filled with the Holy Spirit through Christ, so that then our hope, our righteousness is not built on anything else in this world other than Jesus Christ. And so then we desire to be so identified with Christ that, get this, the world will look in at us and identify us with Jesus. They may not even believe what we believe, but wouldn't it be a miracle if the world could look in and see that we are so transformed by the Holy Spirit, that we love them with such compassion, unconditional love, and serve their needs and take care of them, that they identify us with Jesus Christ, that it's not just something we say, that it's not just something that we hold in our hearts and say, yes, I'm a Christian, 
That's important. But it's also very important that the world can tell the difference between us and other people, that we are unique people that respond to evil with good, that respond to brokenness turning in the love of our God, that our God has laid out a legacy of always turning and facing broken, sinful humanity in love. Not with condemnation, not with vengeance, but would even go to the lengths of the cross for us. I think that shapes our desires for our baptism, is to be identified with that who is Christ Jesus, who is the fulfillment of all of God's desires for all of creation. I deeply want our hearts to be transformed, to have the faith of Christ Jesus shine through the people called Christians in this country. We have so many other things, a history of things. We have other legacies trying to shape and form our hearts and minds. We have rulers, principalities, all of these things, kingdoms, everything, trying to have say over how we think, how we feel, how we speak, and how we act towards our brothers and sisters. And I want a revolution a revolutionary love where the when the world sees brokenness and evil, the world turns and sees Christians turning to face it, to respond in love. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers. Why are they blessed? Because they have the spirit of Christ Jesus within them and they are able to be a blessing of his peace to the world. What if the world saw and understood our baptism because they always saw us turning daily, repenting, metanoia, turning from evil ways to respond in love? The same way that our God has set a precedent of God's self, always turning and responding in love. That is our God. That is the God we see in Christ Jesus. That is the movement, the proactive embodiment of the Holy Spirit in the world. That is what the faith of Jesus looks like. I want to end today's sermon by telling you that there is a distinct, unique way that Jesus looks in the world. And it is that turning in love. It is not responding to things that we disagree with in violence. It's not responding to evil in the world with more evil. Toughness is not a virtue. Jesus said, all power and authority are given unto me. And he took out his towel and brought a wash basin and washed his disciples' feet right after he said that. That is not a John Wayne Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. That is Christ Jesus. That is God in the flesh saying this is what power and authority looks like. Looking at broken feet, dirty feet, and turning and responding in love. Christians are ones to be called to say, look, there's a problem, there's injustice, this is broken, this is terrible, just like the prophets. But you know what? We don't stop there. 
If something is wrong, we then go and see how we can fix it by our service. Not my demanding other people to do it themselves or demanding that other powers and authorities come in and shape the world in the way that we want them to. No, the unique fruits of Jesus Christ is that we turn and face brokenness in the love of Christ Jesus, not through the power and coercion of the world. There's so much to learn from Christ. And I think we let our vision of Christ be shaped by so many other things in the world, by the, the, the toughness that the world thinks is a virtue, by the self-sufficiency that the world thinks is a virtue, by, by doing it on our own, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, by the legislator's pen. If we can just get enough Christian laws out there, then the world will be fine. We are saved by grace, not the law. So we should be the last people that try to usher in God's kingdom that way. Folks, we have been called to be the church. And so turning and responding in love, not in the ways of the world, not in the things that the world praises as virtues, but to respond in the meekness of Christ, for the meek will inherit the earth. The peace of Christ, for blessed are the peacemakers. To feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, clothe the naked, Bring justice to injustice. Defend the voiceless. For when Christ returns, that's his first question to the church. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did unto me. That is the unique radical character of the church. And we are called to embody that and live it out. So I want to implore you, let the Holy Spirit baptize you and let the turning of God in Christ Jesus, responding in love, be the way that we do that too. That's my deep desire. That's my, just a, a revolution I want to see happen with God's people in our nation. Let me pray for us this morning. I, I hope that you were just as excited about this text as I was. I feel like there's so much here that one sermon can't cover but I hope it was an encouragement to your heart, an inspiration to your mind, and a motivation for your life. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we are thankful that you always turn and respond in love, that you don't stay, you don't harbor anger in your heart, you don't harbor vengeance, or, or even hold humanity accountable to that original covenant that you made with us, but you took accountability yourself, responsibility for that covenant on the cross, and you were poured out on our behalf. Lord, we don't deserve the magnitude of that love. Lord God, help us to then turn and embody that love. To remember our baptism is to remember that we are identified with Christ alone and that to be baptized in the Holy Spirit means to have Christ's righteousness reflected through us. Lord God, let that start with Euclid Church. Let that start with your believers here in Boise. Let it just overflow into our city and see a radical revolution of your love in our streets. In Jesus' powerful name, we ask these things. Amen.